0: A quick hello, and we get to go. Welcome to the show, François Nadeau. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, I get to put the accent in, and I'm having a great time. Uh, once again, welcome. Um, you're from Snipcart, but it's actually part of Duda now. Um, yeah. And that's why I wanted to start with the brand Sir, Here we go. Look at this. Around the world, Duda around the world. In the UK, we get the uh, Polish... Is he the president, I think? Um, There's obviously confusion in the name or ambiguity, rather. In the UK, you get this guy, Mr. Duda, from Poland. In the US, you actually get Duda's Knowledge Panel. And on Australia, you get Duda's Knowledge Panel, plus a couple of other ones, one of which is a local Australian company. So what I find really interesting there is around the world, Duda can't rely on their Knowledge Panel appearing in every single country. And it's something potentially any international company would want to take a look at and potentially work on to make sure they can become the dominant entity and have their knowledge panel in the UK when you search their brand name. Then I got a bit overexcited this afternoon and I copy-pasted Snipcart's About Us page. Now, it's really tiny and you can't read it, but that's a copy-paste of what you've got on your About Us page. I analysed it using KediQ Pro's NLP analysis, which is actually Google's NLP analysis, And it identified Snipcart, but if you can see on the right-hand side, it's Snipcart's local office,
1: Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: which is really cool. Mm -hmm. So it's identified Snipcart from your description, which is already great going, but it's only third in the list of the most important entities in that text that you've written. Then what I did is I added one line at the top that says Snipcart was founded by Francois Nadeau and has been acquired by Duda, and Snipcart goes right to the top. And if you look, it's actually a knowledge panel that it finds. Mm, Interesting. And that goes to show the incredible importance of these related entities in Google's brain when it's analyzing the NLP. As soon as I mention you, and as soon as I mention Duda, Google mm. can produce the knowledge panel. It, it understands that we're talking about the company and not mm. the local office of that company, which was the case with your previous one. So that's mm. me geeking out.
1: That's um, interesting. Yeah, I I, think... mean,
0: I I find it endlessly interesting, but most people find it quite boring. Go ahead, say, say something um, that makes me feel better.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's uh, not at all boring. I mean, it's basically the front page of the internet right you want your yeah. visibility there to be ace um i think uh what was interesting is that by focusing on the acquisition in your added line you mm-hmm. you drove an organic top one result which was about the acquisition and not about the company that's, um, that's interesting i also think that like uh It'd be it'd be good it'd be good for us to go and claim that knowledge panel uh, on a more company basis versus like a a location uh, a local thing.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think kind of a lot of people see the local business listing and think, well, that's that's my knowledge panel, and it's not. It's a local business listing, and it represents yeah. your office and yeah. the knowledge panel, the tiny knowledge panel that we see here on this one the tiny little company thing, that's your knowledge panel, and that's the beginning of a true understanding of Google, or by Google, of Snipcart. And theoretically, if we worked it well, we would then get, in the Duda knowledge panel, subsidiary Mm -hmm. Snipcart, and in Snipcart's knowledge panel, this one, sorry, we would get parent company Duda. Um, But -hmm. that's the kind of games Mm -hmm. I play, which I really enjoy. Uh, But it is really important, because if you want Google to apply some of let's say, does kudos to Snipcart mm-hmm. and vice versa, it mm-hmm. needs to understand that relationship explicitly.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. I think I'm gonna send you a check for consulting as soon as we finish <laughs> the record. <laughs>
0: Five <laughs> minutes of consulting. Brilliant, but before we start the conversation, which is gonna be all about from SERP to M&A, uh, the eight-figure ROI blog post. First of all, you had to explain to me what M&A was. Then I got it wrong and said it was seven figures and it's actually eight figures. And it's basically this idea that SEO-focused, top-of-funnel thought leadership pieces that can lead to amazing business opportunities. And I'm incredibly interested in that. And we're going to start with your incredible business opportunity, which was the acquisition by Duda. Really quickly before we get going... Um, CaliCube Tuesdays, we're produced every week in partnership with WordLift, who are an amazing AI tool for building internal knowledge graphs to communicate them to Google for better SEO performance. And the headline sponsor this week is ourselves, CaliCube. Um, And we are... A company that offers three solutions for your Brand SERP. Number one, beginner, you've got the Brand SERP book. It's behind me here, so you can read that. Intermediate, we've got the Brand SERP courses where you learn all the tips and tricks I've got about Brand SERPs. And the advanced is a SaaS platform, CaliQ Pro, that I just showed you earlier on to figure out how to find the knowledge panel for Snipcat. And and in fact, that's how I tracked Duda to understand that it was being shown differently around the world. So a bit of self-plugging there. When you don't have sponsors, sponsor yourself. Is my <laughs> motto now. Um, I think it's fair enough. <laughs> could you tell by start by telling me the story of the eight figure ROI, ROI blog post? I mean, did you just write it? Well, a, what was it about, and b, why did you yeah. write it?
1: Yeah. Um, so what's funny about that is that in the beginning of my career, uh, before stepping up as the CEO of Snipcart. I was doing um, content marketing and SEO mostly, like right. Bootstrap, company, very organic acquisition channels, slow growth, that type of model. And uh, you know, eventually we grew and we hired a small marketing team. And I wasn't the one uh, doing the content anymore because I had other responsibilities. But the last blog post I wrote in this kind of transition Right. Was that one? Was that one from the episode title? And uh, it was about headless e-commerce. So right. um, the the goal was just to let people know whether are their developers or companies looking into, you know, expanding e-commerce efforts, right. making sure they understand what that paradigm is. Um, what, so, so what is headless e-commerce? Yeah. So. I think the most simple way to explain it is a decoupling between the front end. So what you and I as end customer experience Mm -hmm. as a store uh, UX, a decoupling of that and the back end. So what merchant use to manage data, orders, products, inventories, whatever you want to call it. So there are a lot of uh, traditional e-commerce solutions that are doing coupled, uh, a coupled model <laughs> where you know, you'll know you manage your products, orders, customers inside a, of a given platform. And that right. same platform will let you create store pages, product pages, mm-hmm. um, a, a cart, and all that stuff. Um, the, the benefit of headless e-commerce is that it really allows you to untie your data, your e-commerce data, Mm -hmm. from where it lives, from different front ends. So as you know, performance has become a crucial issue for e-com. So many of these traditional platforms, the theming language and the templates that they provide, when you add a lot of plugins on top of them, it becomes (laughs) challenging for the performance aspect. Mm -hmm. So many devs or merchants like to cut cut the head of it and create something custom, like use technology and through any technology that is just more performant, right? So it can be a bit of static sites, some JavaScript, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I mean, basically, you're just taking the frame of the website and then injecting the e-commerce chunk into the middle of it. um, Exactly. And it becomes completely independent, which is what you're now doing with Duda is that you can just chuck an e-commerce lump into your website as it were and it's actually separate from your website. So when you mess with your website, you don't mess up your e-commerce store.
1: Yes and no. Uh, with Duda ah. we're doing something a bit more native. We can talk uh, we can talk a little bit more about this if you want later. But okay. but yeah like the, the two main advantages of headless e-commerce is one, you can really create something that is dedicated to performance in the front end right. and just connect your data in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and two you can have multiple touch points. The same data set inside your right. backend, whether it's a Shopify headless, um, a commerce layer, there's commerce tools, there's a bunch of them, right? Mm-hmm. The same data set can be pushed into different touch front end touch points. So think about a mobile native app. Um, think about right. like a P- o- POS, a screen, like a smart screen.
0: Yeah. Um, I- And Yeah, and and this makes me think about what WordLift are doing is basically they're saying we want to build an internal knowledge graph of our business, and the website Mm -hmm. is simply a representation of that knowledge graph, and -hmm. we can use that knowledge graph to represent our business in different places, uh, on Mm -hmm. different platforms, but also Mm -hmm. within our organization to present that same knowledge graph of data Mm -hmm. in different ways to different people in different perspectives yeah. and not make the website the representation of that, mm-hmm. sorry, not make the website the foundation of that data, make, make yeah. it simply one representation of that data. Would that sound like a fair comparison? I think it does. I think it, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me one sec. <laughs> it's okay. So I was talking about WordLift because we talk a lot about this idea, hello to the dog, this idea of having... Um, A knowledge graph that that is actually kind of a part and the website is simply a representation. I'm a very big fan of saying we have a company that is a brand, um, sorry, Snipcart or Duda, and the website is simply one of the representations of that brand as opposed to the huge thing that in SEO we tend to think it is the most important thing. The most important thing is actually the brand. So carry on now that the
1: dog is calmed. Yeah, I apologize. It's okay. So, you know... The, the whole thing about this headless paradigm is that now you need a lot more portability in your data, right? Mm. As you scale as a business, while well, time passes, technologies evolve and wow. your needs change, right? So, considering that, um, if you have a headless decoupled model, your data set can stay the same and it can be pushed into new technologies that are uh, emerging, or if you need to change, your actual um, e-commerce provider it can right. be a bit easier because sometimes you, you'll see like this this is especially attractive attractive for e-commerce operations that scale and now performance is not only a nice to have it's like hmm. uh, it's, it's millions it's hundreds of thousands of dollars depending on, on, on your volume of transactions so by having your data decoupled and being able to push it in different storefronts, different front end touch points, it really helps. So, yeah, I think it was a fair comparison with, with uh, what you said.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, we, I'm sorry to come back to something else. That, that's really kind of interesting because uh, with CaddyQ Pro, I built the whole thing, the front end and the back end. And then I realized that I couldn't keep building the front end, it was too much work. So, I got a thing called Medtronic, and it's basically a dashboard uh, template framework. And what I figured out, and I think I actually built Headless without realising it, because I got their um, framework and then just dropped my application in the middle of it. And it worked. uh, Literally, it took me about a day to do. Um, That that was luck. It wasn't planning. (laughs) Um, but, But now you explain it, I kind of think, yeah, I've actually done that. And if I'm careful... I could actually push more along that line and the scalability of CaliCube Pro is going to be much, much easier. So, oh, brilliant. So you give me an amazing idea. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, what you need to look look out for is like um, development overhead. Like these types of solutions, they're not necessarily plug and play. And there's a reason why the Wix, the Squarespace, the Shopify, come in an all-in-one bundle uh, are very popular, right? Because you don't have to build mm. bridges and connections between uh, one data set that lives in one back end and two different front ends that live somewhere else like, so this is something to keep in mind
0: absolutely brilliant wonderful so what did your blog post say it was just talking about headless yeah. um e-commerce and yeah. you wrote it as one of your your goodbye pieces as you moved up the company to take <laughs> control of all yeah. the more important things and so, somebody from duda read it
1: yeah. um yeah in a nutshell so this like we we used to invest a lot in on page SEO a bit of link building and a lot of uh, a lot of community promotion we were like a I think a, we're still we still are a decent actor in the community right and, um, so that post was ranking uh on the, on the first page uh, I don't know now that its position but back then it was like top three easy mm. and um, so it it was a very interesting uh piece because it drove different opportunities. One of them is literally like Duda and an acquisition of Snipcart. But others were calls and emails from investors who were like, hey, like, we were exploring the space which is still a bit obscure for some and we have right. a thesis we think we should invest there you came up on the SERP looks like you know your stuff we read your piece, Can we can we talk? So we weren't looking for money at the time. Mm-hmm. but if we had been, you know, like many doors opened just because of getting found through that blog post. So that's one right. interesting business opportunity. Two, we also had like conferences, meetups, podcasts that either we reached out using that piece, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and said, hey, like awesome show that you're doing, awesome conf that you're doing. We we've been thinking about some stuff that would be interesting for your audience. Right, Look at yeah. this, like it's on the first page, blah blah blah. So that could be kind of a salesy assets like a lead gen thing, um, and then other people just reaching out and say, "Hey, would you mind coming on on the podcast and, and talking about that?" Because like clearly you know your stuff.
0: And and from that perspective, was it truly just the one article, or was it a combination of a lot of different things? I mean, this this mm-hmm. idea of seven touch points, which is. Uh, I was talking to, uh, I can't remember, I've forgotten his name, Daniel Hujas. Uh, This Mm -hmm. was like three years ago. One of the great things about this podcast is I can remember people's names because of the situation we were in, which is something (laughs) I'm really bad at generally. And he was talking about as time goes by and as we get more and more of of this this data information overload, that seven touch point idea, wherever that idea came from in the first Mm -hmm. place, it may be 20 it may be 15, it may be five, Mm. you don't really know. But certainly Mm -hmm. with the information overload we're getting, I'm definitely thinking it's a lot more than seven. So is it part of that or is it just people come across this and think this guy's genius?
1: (laughs) Um, So it really depends on the persona and, and their intent. Like if I'm talking about the investor who's trying to learn more about a space and invest in like, Space related, this space related companies like it mm-hmm. can be like one touch point, two touch point. I don't know. Mm. Um, otherwise, I feel like yeah, you have to entertain like a story across touch points, and um, for sure, like at Snipcart, we were doing a whole lot of that. Mm. So we were doing a lot, like I'd say sixty to seventy percent of our content was top of the funnel. Didn't even mention Snipcart. Really like stuff that developers could 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 use and and learn and become better devs, better at their jobs, whatever. And then a the 30%-ish was like, hey, you want to do e-commerce with XYZ technology? Here's how to use our product to do it. So a lot of content on a regular, uh, almost weekly basis, uh, optimized for SEO, pushed, pushed, pushed a lot, right? In the different mm. uh, Slack groups, the different newsletters, the different social media groups that all these developers that we built relationships with Uh, we're hanging out in. So, yeah, I mean, if... So, so you're talking about
0: content, basically. You're creating for the user, as John Muir from Google loves to say. Um, And what I would say is, yeah, make it for the user. Push it out to them where they are actually hanging out. Package it for Google, which is the SEO aspect that you mentioned. And when you've packaged it for Google, you'll be ranking. But if it's not useful to your audience in the first place... um, then it doesn't have so much value but if you can make it valuable without google and then get google as a bonus that's my personal favorite thing to say but were you approaching it from that aspect or was it really an SEO piece
1: hmm. i never and i was i never was a like a truly like pure seo player i always cared about what we're saying as a company and yeah. if it's useful or not and when I was when I, when I was a kiddo, like starting my career, um, my my initial SEO mentor, he told me like, listen, dude, like there, there's a there's a golden rule which is UX like as a broad term over SEO. Like, yeah, if you're in a bind and you're not sure, like, should I optimize for that? Should I add this paragraph? Should I build this link? And you feel like it won't contribute to the user experience that is consuming content, engaging with your brand, drop it, forget it like, right.
0: prioritise, Yeah. so, oh, is, we, so yeah. i no. just really quickly, we've been using Microsoft Clarity, because uh, I had Ravi uh, on, the, on the show a few weeks ago, and he got me <laughs> to try it out. And we were really surprised is that we put a table of contents at the top. Mm-hmm. And what Microsoft Clarity does is, is that kind of it's the same thing as mouse flow, I think it's called, Eat but it's free. And yeah. And what we saw is that with the table of contents at the top, people would read the table of contents. And then as they scroll down the page, you see them skipping the parts that presumably they found not interesting from the table of contents. And now we're looking at it and saying, well, actually those might be parts we can remove because we thought it was interesting, but it isn't actually helpful.
1: Hmm. I think that's interesting. I think you should like definitely track your rankings though, right? Like uh, yeah, yeah, make sure yeah, yeah, you're yeah, pleasing <laughs> you're pleasing if you're removing like strips and sections, like just make sure both the users and Google still love it. It's, uh, it's oh, a it's a good value.
0: You're so reasonable. I just go right off and try and just change everything to see what happens. You're much more reasonable, which is probably why you got that eight figure ROI on your
1: blog post and I haven't <laughs> I think there was a lot of a lot of luck and timing as well. but really? um, uh, y- yeah, so so to answer your, your first question, like I don't we've done some purely SEO pieces that are just about like, Traffic and then having a number, a percentage, even if it's low, that converts. And then like, we've done some of these. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, we, we got to get clients, we got to scale, we got to blah, blah, blah. But these are never yeah. the ones I'm, I'm the most proud of, right? The ones that I'm the most proud of are the ones that are on the first page, but also generate discussions, uh, are referred right. to in some emails. I can send to partners, I can send to conferences, like something that keeps, like, like pieces that are telling your brands and, and your company's story, like not just serving a SERP, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I, I really like that idea. And I think that's something an awful lot of people, an awful lot of companies miss out on. they completely fail to do it. Uh, We've started doing it. We've do, done a couple of case studies and we're building out the case studies. And I'm seeing how much I'm able to share that with people to say, look, this is what we're doing. It mm-hmm. uh, hasn't, yeah. hasn't actually converted to anything yet. But I was doing it because... Uh, People don't understand what CaliCube Pro does, so I need mm. to explain it through these case studies. Um, and yeah. you're you're encouraging me to just keep going with that because mm. I have to communicate yeah. and I have to be able to say, just go and read that article.
1: Yeah, I think like like you have, uh, I think it was Animals, the service, contents, the uh, content marketing service agency, whatever. I think there, were, there was a blog post a few years back that was saying. Treat your blog and your content like as a as a library and not as a magazine. Uh, and, and this is like dope. Uh, it's a, it's a good mental model because you want if people differ, dep- depending on where they are in their journey, whether they're only learning about your industry or your topics, or they're actively looking for a solution, whatever part they are in the journey, you want to have content that can serve them at the right time. And its discoverability Wrong, really comes through SEO or, you know, other aggregation of content, mm-hmm. newsletters, Reddits, yeah. whatever you want to. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. I was talking to Katrina Mac- McKinnon, who's going to be a guest in a few weeks' time. She's uh, She's got a company, and they do vast amounts of copywriting, uh, okay. It's, it's it, it, and she's absolutely brilliant, and she's going to share nice. basically their machine of how to do copywriting at scale with human beings, that actually comes out and ranks and and looks good and serves its purpose. But she suggested to me a thing called, I think it was notion.io. Yeah. And I, oh right, you know what it is. She was saying, oh, you're you're such an old fuddy-duddy Jason. Everybody, all the young people know what it is. And she was saying using that to actually organize where all of this different content is that answers these different questions of all of your
1: audience as they come down the funnel. She talking one about, of the
0: hard things, are, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, she's talking about Notion, like, Notion, the, I don't know, the like software document management, SaaS. Yeah, SAS, uh, yeah, That's yeah exactly, I mean, yeah. like, it's a, it's a debated, like, inside Duda, it's like, after the people love it, after the people hate it. Um, oh, really? I think okay. it's a, a, a very cool software. I think it's super, super flexible. And if you want to do, like, internal documentation and very searchable, dynamic, Kind of content updates. It's pretty cool. Um, so I think it makes right. sense. But internal,
0: yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, as, as an internal, so basically you were saying like, if you have that, then you can organize all. I mean, if I've written, let's say, mm-hmm. two hundred articles, I can't remember a lot of them. And every now and then I come across one. And I think, oh, I've forgotten about that. And actually having it all documented, saying this serves this question, which is in this part yeah. of the funnel, um, I just can't. Yeah, I'm curious. I'll
1: look yeah, I'll look up the show. I'm curious as to like how how she would use it, um, most definitely. Like we use it for like content roadmap and uh, some some content dashboards and drafts uh, and collaboration, like that kind of stuff. But uh, I'd be curious to see her setup.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm incredibly interested. I mean, she, she's absolutely brilliant. She, she's had a couple of meetings with me just privately chatting about stuff, uh, and they That's go good. on way longer than they're supposed to. Uh, she's just full of good ideas. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the top the of funnel content that you've been creating that, that actually drives opportunities. We're talking about this one particular blog post. Have you yeah. got other examples of blog posts or articles that you've yep. written, either on your site or on somebody else's site, because writing on third-party sites can be very useful for that as well, yeah. that have driven these these opportunities and partnerships.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I got three examples, maybe. So the first one, um, it was years, years back, but we wrote a piece uh, that wasn't even uh, SEO-optimized. It was right. about why ad blockers are changing the game for SaaS developers. And back then, we we, we kind of did an internal analysis of like, hey, what's the discrepancy between, like, what the database tells us, like raw, rough hits that you cannot fake, and what Google Analytics tells us, and then there was a discrepancy, right? Mm-hmm. So we saw that, and then we had another problem, which was what was it? Oh yeah, some routes in our app were um, using some words that were considered, like. Uh, to be spammy or uh, ads be right. by the, all of the blockers, the ad blockers. Okay. So the actual UX of our product was compromised because many developers, our audience, were coming into the product, hitting a route that their ad blocker thought was um, spammy or whatever on a blacklist, yeah? And right. then they couldn't see like some analytics that we were providing. Right. So we, we kind of dug into that. And then we wrote a whole piece about like, hey, like what happened to us? What was the story there? What we did to fix it? What considerations you should have? And that was very, very top of the funnel. And um, you know that piece landed on like Hacker News first front page. And oh, this is like, it's always bittersweet, right? Because you get engagement, traffic, signups, oh. but you get like hate and criticism, and <laughs> like uh, developers. Sure, love, love to argue and, and complain about stuff. So, so, so that, that's an example. And like, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Google, because the
0: idea of, I mean, I love it. I find something interesting, and then I dig down, and then I want to write a long article about it. And I always kind of think, well, nobody else is actually interested in my particular case in knowledge panels <laughs> and this particular detail and how I solve this particular problem. We wrote, wrote one the other week and we published it about how I changed my subtitle from musician to author without using Google Books. And I think it's incredibly interesting because I'm a musician. I've recorded loads of albums. So Google's incredibly confident in that information because it's been around so long and because it's on sites like Music Brains. And Mm -hmm. to override Mm -hmm. that with author, and I've only been an author for like four or five years, was quite an achievement. And I thought that was incredibly interesting. But when people read it, I'm wondering, do they just think, oh, well done, Jace. You did something cool. But how does that help me?
1: I mean, just it yeah, I mean, like depends on your audience, right? so i'm I'm thinking like agencies or managers that are, I don't know, propsing the brand and of uh, influencers, for instance, right? or public right. figures. If yeah. these people um, like diversify and change the types of projects they're doing and whatever, like this this is this is important stuff, right? Because you yeah. want like that recognition, that label labeling that to, to change and follow with the new activities that a person uh, is doing. So. I'd personally be, like, super interested in reading that.
0: Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I suppose the question as well was, uh, I think we, t- we as SEOs, we tend to think, I need to rank quickly, I need to get the traffic, and in fact, you need to write this stuff that's actually going to be, or potentially, some of the, your your content, which will be driving partnerships and opportunities that is going to be low traffic in terms just, of SEO. Yeah, like, go ahead.
1: You, you, you know this because you're, it's kind of your, your core, but people need to think about SEO as a branding mechanism and not just a traffic acquisition. And um, so so if someone comes across your piece, whether it's through the SERP or uh, through like a a link on social media, for instance, and they like what they read, and they're like, oh, I like that joke there. I like that tone. And Hmm. geez, like that study that they did, their, their data is very good. Like, right, they have like a positive association. Boom, they forget about you, they move on, right? But ne- mm-hmm. next time around, when they come on a SERP and they start searching for stuff, um, and maybe it's whatever, it, wherever it is in the funnel, and they see Dash SNP card, Dash Duda, Dash um, Yeah, Cali, um, um, yeah, here. whatever. Thank you. I was, I was <laughs> blanking. I was I was looking at the screen. It, it's written somewhere. Uh, dash guy, like they go, oh, like these guys like said some smart things. And in, in a previous yeah. posts, maybe, maybe I, I look at them, even though they're third, fourth, fifth, right? And then oh. like that actual branding relationship influences how you'll perform on the serve, and if you'll be chosen over something or, or another. So, so yeah, it's it's never just about like ranking, uh, oh. purely ranking. It's, it's it's building that trust, kind of.
0: Brilliant. That was an absolutely wonderful conversation It kind of started off with all the dev tech stuff about (laughs) a headless uh, e-commerce cart and went on to this idea of writing top of funnel content that drives relationships, drives partnerships, drives opportunities in business. Uh, And for some people in this room, they got eight figures out of it. And for other people in this room so far, they've got zero figures out of it. But I live in hope Thank you so much, Francois. That was absolutely brilliant. Of course. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for watching. Uh, Next week, we've got Colin Shaw with UX is Dead, Long Live CX Customer Experience. And I really want to talk to him about the online versus the offline. And he seems incredibly knowledgeable about the offline and the online. So hopefully we'll be able to bring the two together for customer
1: experience. Francois, could you pass the baton? Uh consider the button passed. Uh and Colin, I hope you uh I hope you do a great job next week. Thank you so much, Francois. Thank you for watching.
0: A quick goodbye to and the show. Thank you, (laughs) Francois. Peace. Bye bye.